1: Welcome to the E4A Roundtable. I'm Dustin Smith. I'm joined here with a group of athletes, coaches, former coaches as of a couple weeks ago, I guess, at the high school level, uh, but still a coach. And uh, we're going to jump into a bunch of different uh, topics and uh, ask each other some different questions. We've assembled a group with various backgrounds and ages, and we're excited to discuss some things. So I want to start by introducing a panel. I've got. Elsie Murphy here, who's been a member of especially for athletes for seven, seven years. Yeah. Started a sophomore in high school. She's currently the. You have more. You're more than just the manager. What's your official? Because yes. you're administrative.
2: I work as administrative assistant uh, for the Utah State football coaching
1: staff. Okay, that's a lot. It they put that lot. all on one business all, card.
2: All on one business card. Basically, she's
1: the head coach of Utah State <laughs> football. Okay. Uh, Allie Bills, who's been. I've known Allie for. 30 plus years, Uh, Ali is a former college division one basketball coach, as well as a division one basketball player and had uh, some time as a professional basketball player as well overseas. Uh, Shad Martin, who is the co-founder of Especially for Athletes, college teammate of mine, again, 20 plus years ago. Uh, Eli Ballstead has been a member of especially for athletes for about the same, right? Yeah. Maybe a little longer? Probably about 10 years. Yeah, uh? about 10 years. Again, about your sophomore, junior year of high school, right?
3: Yeah, maybe even freshman. Okay. That's a long okay. time ago.
1: Eli uh, went to Wasatch High School, which is up in Heber, Utah, and then went and played four years at the University of Utah. Just wrapped up his senior year at the University of Utah as a basketball player. And then Coach James Ballstead, who was the, was the basketball coach at Wasatch High School, and uh, also runs Utah's top elite league, which is for the 50 top high school basketball players in the state, been a basketball coach for a lot of years and one of the best coaches in the state. So we've got a panel, like I said, coaches, former college athletes, uh, current administrative assistants, and uh, we wanna jump in. I wanna start off by talking about the first principle of especially for athletes, but I wanna try to summarize it first with the idea of the sport light. Um, So for those that you know, don't know, we refer to the sport light as that time in your life when you have an extra uh, attention given to you because you're an athlete in the spotlight. Uh, athletes playing sports nowadays are watched, they're recognized, and they're talked about, and social media even makes them more so that. And So when we talk about our first principle of winning the hour, which is our first uh, core principle, of especially for athletes, to me and then I'll pass that on maybe to you coach secondly to answer this to me winning the hour is very simple try to win every hour of the day that you're awake and make sure you're sleeping for 8 hours of the day if you do that you're awake for 16 hours we refer to that as going 16 and 0 we ask everybody to win all 16 hours they're awake and you win the hour by doing more than just participating in the hour you you make sure that this hour is the most important hour of the day and Once that hour's done, you move on to the next thing. When you're in math class, you're in math class. When you're home with your mom and dad, that's your focus. When you're lifting weights, it's 100% lifting weights. You make that the focus. In other words, be where your feet are, be in the moment, be present, and make that the most important. So coach, as a high school basketball coach and and in running a a elite basketball league, you see some of the best basketball players in the state of Utah. Um, You've also worked with athletes at the high school level who have probably had, come to practice, I'm guessing, with distractions occasionally. Why is this principle of, of uh, winning the hour uh, important? Not only, I mean, obviously it's important now, but maybe more so now because
4: of all the distractions that kids have. Uh, <clears throat> I was, I got, I zoned out. I was trying to remember the last time I got eight hours of sleep. Oh so yeah, right. I, I go, I gotta be 18 an hour to 20. An hour. Um, so important. I, I, that One of the things we would talk about with our players all the time is when you walk into practice, you gotta leave everything off the court. And it, it, it's a constant battle. Kids, you know, they get to practice, they've had a bad day in school, they're upset at their girlfriend or had a bad grade, mad at their parents, maybe haven't eaten enough, what, you know, whatever it is, there's so many distractions, there's social issues going on, and you can see it in their performance. And I, for me, when you're trying to accomplish something when you're focused on that thing in that moment be where your feet are you're you're so much further ahead you 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 get you get more out of the practice more out of becoming whatever you're trying to become so that was something we talked about a lot with with the players sometimes we'd meet in the hallway beginning of the season we would do that a lot more meet in the hallway outside of the gym and get everybody in there, Are you guys ready to go, because when we walk in that door and we step across that line, we're going. This is what we're doing. You're in practice, nothing else matters right now. And, the, and some of the kids we would talk to, the kids that were struggling with some, you know, bigger problems, problems at home or, or whatever, I would take aside and talk about the opportunity to use this as a respite from those things, those worries. Just come in here and play and work your butt off and have a great time doing that. And I think when they, when players can see it that way a little bit too, it helps focus on that, so yeah, very no, important.
1: That's great. Eli is a college athlete and student. Um, you had a lot on your plate. You had to manage your day really probably down to the, really down to the hour, maybe down to the minute in some days. How did you manage make that jump from uh, high school to now you're college, you have a credit, you know, a load of credits, whatever you had, practice, weight room, gotta eat, everything. How did you manage that? And what tips do you have to kids to actually, it's easy to say be where your feet are, but
3: how do they do that? No, that's a great question. I think for me, what I really focused on in high school was figuring out what my priorities were. And I really tried to carry that with me in college. And so first things first was getting done what was most important. And for me, that, that's different for everybody, but for me, that was waking up at a certain time and, and doing a little study in the Word of God. And then from there, everything else in my day was kind of planned out with classes and with school. But if I got um, the most important things done first, everything else went a little bit smoother for me. And so... I think I think it's important for all of us to determine what's most important for us and then really put those things first in our life and make them a priority. And everything else seems to fall into place.
0: Shad, I, I know where you're going to go with that, right? Go mm-hmm. ahead. I know right Absolutely. what you're going to say. You're going to talk about scheduling priorities, yeah. right? Yeah. I love it. I love it. There's two quotes that Dustin and I have talked about a lot. First of all, we love the word intentional. Yeah. I think sometimes we're just unintentional with our day. We kind of wake up and we let the day happen to us instead of, like you said, uh, Stephen R. Covey, he, he made the comment that we do, not, um, we do not prioritize our schedule. We schedule our priorities. <laughs> and that's a great example of what's most important to me. I'm going to put those things first in my life. I'm going to make sure those things happen. I think what's increased over the last 10, 15 years is the amount of things we have to fill our life. To, yeah. the, if we aren't intentional, our schedule could get filled up really quickly with, with hours of scrolling, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and then the other one is, um, the bad news is time flies, the good news is you're the pilot. So you could look at your day, decide where you want your destination to be, both long-term and short-term with each hour, and then make sure you map out a plan that, that schedules your priorities um, not just look at your day and prioritize your schedule. Those who do that are going to accomplish more of what they want to accomplish in life because they're happening to life. They're not letting life happen to us. One of our favorite quotes was Justin Sue when he joined our podcast. He said, we need to live a life by design and not by default. I think too much, too many of us are living a life by default right now. We let life happen to us. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, uh, a business that tries to bake the culture of the business or a team that tries to make the culture of the team a team by default. Throws five guys out on the basketball court and hopes they mesh and hopes that they get along. A, a coach who tries to has a design. This is the culture. We, if you watch basketball, you heard a lot recently about the Miami Heat the heat culture that if you come here there's certain things that are expected of you. They don't just throw guys out there. They had a culture and you either buy into it or or you're you know you're off. And you know that idea of, of prioritizing your day would look something like, all right, I, I I want to study, as you said, the word of God. That's a priority to you. Yeah. Um you had to lift I guess that work out. That was a priority, right? You had to have. Yeah, you can see you're. You're just. You look like Arnold Schwarzenegger over there. You have to. You have your schoolwork priority. Once you practice, there's a certain time of day that's a priority. Once you list those priorities, let's say you have six or seven just core priorities. What Shad? To correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is, okay, I have, if I have 16 hours of the day, I got to look at these priorities and put those down first. I am doing this at this time and this at that time. Now, if the day something happens, it's not always, it doesn't always go perfectly. Yeah. It's then I got to move it to another time, but I got to be willing to bump out something else because these are priorities that have to get done today. If we don't do that, it's very easy to fill our day with stuff and our intentions were always good. I, we've talked about before someday the imaginary eighth day of the week where dreams go to die someday, right? (laughs) Someday, uh, eventually I'll get to that. I'll get to it again. All of a sudden it's midnight and I didn't get to it. Well, if if it was really a priority and if you're focused, if you're really winning the hour, you would have gotten to it. And that's hard, but the habit of becoming somebody who's driven by positive habits Mm -hmm. um, is how we become elite. I've, I've mentioned this before. For those of you that heard us talk, we talk about the very first hour of the day being critical. Obviously, you can't go undefeated if you lose the first game of the, of the season. You can't go 16-0 and 0 if you lose that first day. Every single day, we start the day off making a winning or a losing decision. It's usually whether or not we hit the snooze button on our alarm clock or not. It's the battle with the goal we set the night before, to wake up at a certain time. And if waking up and getting going and getting active is a priority to us, we're not going to fiddle around with our... Snooze button. I always ask this, do you envision the most successful people in the world? Think of whoever that is, in sports or in business, whatever. The most successful person, I don't envision that person hitting their snooze button four or five times every morning. just to, I don't see that happening. That person's hitting, getting up and getting at it. They had a plan. Um, as an athlete who played big time division one and coached eight years at BYU, a, played at Utah, um, coached at BYU and played as a professional. How important to you is this idea of being efficient with your day and being present?
5: I think that balance is one of those things that doesn't fully exist. So I think being present is really important because you're gonna have times in your life where you dedicate a lot more time to something you're trying to be, improve and become better. But when you talk about elite and people that wanna be successful, what kind of separates them and it's in winning this hour, it's not the person that says, I can do it, you know, I, I got this, I can do it, coach. It's the one that says I can't, and then I will. Mm-hmm. And will you? Will you do it? And that separates, that is a huge gap. And whether you will or not is dictated by your why. And why are you doing it? There's things that you're gonna have to do in your day as an athlete business person parent that is not what you want to do yeah but why do I want to be successful in this area why do I want to improve? why do I want to grow as a person be better as a parent or an athlete and why am I doing this if you can answer that question you won't say I can you'll say I will yeah and I think in competing and being around kind of the best of the best that's the difference is it's not the I can it's the I will and I am and I think it just goes a step further from, from just not just being present, but it's just, you have a why behind it as well.
1: What do you think about this, Allie? I want to follow up with the question. When you were saying that, I I thought of something. I don't know if we've discussed this before, Shad. Maybe it's something we should. Uh, part of winning the hour or winning the day, therefore, is, it's the ability sometimes to say no to certain things, right? That I, I. I can't do everything. You can't say yes to everybody's expectations and demands. And especially, the, uh, we have a podcast on this, an episode on this, especially to the drains in our life. We need fountains in our life, not drains. And if something's a drain in our life or a drain in our day, we've got to not do that thing. So Ali, again, I want to come back to you on that. Do you believe that that's, I mean, I know you have a super busy life. Um, you have to say no sometimes to things, right? You can't do everything.
5: Uh, saying no is a lot harder than yeah. saying yes. But I think kind of goes back to what Eli said of, of having a priority in your life. Knowing where I want to go, things that are important to me. Being here, you ask me to do something, the answer is yes. I will be here. I believe in this. This is yeah. important to me. The messages are important. And you just have to figure out, like who you want to be, who you want to become, and is that taking you closer to it or further from it? Mm-hmm. And and saying no can be your, your greatest decision of growth in your life. We always say be a yes person, you know, and have these extraordinary experiences and do these crazy things, but no can also get you into yeah. the same.
4: I heard, uh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I just heard recently something like that. It, 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 when you're trying to learn from successful people, like athletes, businessmen, yeah. whatever, sometimes it's easier to look at what they're not doing yeah. than what they are. And that that can tell a stronger story sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just for that, what I mean, mm-hmm. to, yeah, yeah.
0: That's great. You know, Dustin, we spent a time, I, as we've been doing this, I see your wristband there, both the eyes up do the work that's beautiful, and then the one that says, be different, mm-hmm. right? I'd love to know why that's important to you because we spend a lot of time in our book on the word. We, sometimes it rolls off the tongue. Extraordinary. you ever looked at that word really close? It's the yeah. combination of two words. Yeah. Extraordinary. And I think oftentimes people want to give ordinary effort and get extraordinary results. Right? They, they want to be different without being different (laughs) they just want it to magically happen and and i really think that if you're intentional we know the things if not you can learn the things that will make you extraordinary in your line of work in a sport in in a relationship if you will take time and invest what does it take for me to be extraordinary and then take extraordinary measures meaning it's not just going to be ordinary if you want to be an incredible parent, find out what incredible parents do and be extraordinary. Don't just try to be ordinary. And I, I love when we wrote about that and did many drafts and thought about that, I, it revealed to me many areas of my life where I wanted extraordinary results, but I just wanted to give ordinary effort. Yeah. And, and, but going to your point of saying no, you can't be extraordinary at everything. It's impossible. We have limited resources. So then we need to find out those key areas of our life that we really want to be extraordinary at and then put our time and effort toward those things. That's why being intentional and being the pilot, bad news is time flies, good news is you're the pilot, steering your time toward those things that mean the most to you as you illustrated with how you spend the first part of your day, I think that's what helps us be extraordinary in the areas that are important to us. Mm
1: Have you heard that song? Tim McGraw has a song, um, no. Live Like... Yeah, you've never heard it. <laughs> if, you, if you live in Hebrew, you have to heard it, come on. <laughs> yeah, he says, live like you are dying. Um, I rethought about that, or thought differently on that about a week or so ago. I don't like that, I think we need to live like we're living. Like live life, right? We gotta live more like we're living. I get it. I get a song. And and if you listen to the words in that song, but I think we got to realize we're living and live it, like live life, do everything with all you got. If you're playing basketball, play like it's the last time you're ever going to, you know, put on the lace, put on the shoes and get after it. If you're with your kids, laugh it up, make a mess, be like, wrestle with your sons, like get after it, be a dad. Like, We've got to live life like we're living and not just go through life. Be extraordinary in life and doing things. Allie, you talk a lot about making experiences. You've told me that. We went to lunch and Ally said, you need, to make, you need to have more experiences. You need to do stuff. And she was right. We have to be more intentional in living life and being live life large, be big, be, be extraordinary in living life. That's what eyes up, do the work. is partly what it means. Be different. You know,
0: Elsie, we got to hear Elsie speak at yeah. Utah State. <laughs> um, Elsie, can I just ask you a question? Yeah. How good of an athlete were you in high school?
2: I was not good enough to make a team. <laughs> okay.
0: and, and here's the thing that I think is is so amazing about Elsie. She gave one of the finest speeches I've ever heard to a leadership council, or to yeah. a bunch of and acted people. like you've done it before. It was a lot.
1: <laughs> it was intimidating. You That's had a couple hundred, 150, it 200 was people a out there. Yeah.
0: With a with coach of a Division one school that yes. was going to speak right after you, yeah, coach.
2: The one that hired me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> your boss, yeah. Yeah. At, at Utah State, right? Yeah. And, Elsie, I, the reason why you're so inspiring to us is, you know, sometimes we think, oh, this is a sports podcast, right? And we're talking to a bunch of athletes, and these principles, you know, are going to help you become this amazing athlete. Uh, as you talked about the principles, and how they inspired you. And and to see the way your coach talked about you, you could tell when he spoke about you after he stood up and spoke after you how much they value you there at Utah State and the huge contribution you're making to the football program. And it, it it's interesting to me, I love taking you as a case study because as you apply these principles, you you eventually find the things, not only that you're you could give extraordinary effort to, but that you're extraordinary at. Mm-hmm. And it's not always going to be those things that we, we hope initially, but you seem pretty happy in your assignment right now. Oh, you it love is,
2: it. It's my happy place. Yeah,
0: so t- tell us about how you've learned to direct your effort toward those things that are bringing you this extraordinary amount of success. Yeah.
2: For sure. It was kind of a big mind shift. You know, I, I played sports for 12 years. That was my life. That's what I wanted to do. I That's what my family did. And getting told no four years in a row that I couldn't do something was really discouraging. And I was a part of this program, and I thought, I can't do this anymore. I'm not an athlete. I don't, I don't relate to these people. I don't have anything to talk about. I'm not on a team. I don't wear a jersey. And it kind of fell perfectly into place. I ran into the football coach in high school and he said, look, I know you work hard. I know you are in the weight room. Why don't you come be the COVID manager? I said, yes, I had nothing else to do with my time. I wasn't doing anything else. And so I just decided to focus in on it. If I was gonna do something, I was gonna do it 110%. I was gonna give everything I had and I did and it snowballed into what I'm doing now. It turned into a four year scholarship. It turned into a career. And it was just because I, I made the decision I was going to work hard no matter what it looked like. And it had taught me a lot that at some point you're going to hang up your shoes, whether it's now, whether it's 10 years from now, after the pros, whatever it is, at some point you're going to hang up the shoes. I just hung mine up a lot sooner, but I can still be part of athletics and make a difference in a different way.
1: Yeah, and, and you did. I, I think it's awesome. You found out what your role was and turned it into paid scholarship in college and now yeah. a job where you're getting paid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, second principle, of especially for athletes, compete without contempt. Um, we emphasize in this, that principle in the chapter of the book and every podcast episode we do both words, but I start off every time we talk about it, I do not want to shy away from the word compete. Um, I think sometimes competition or being competitive comes as some sort of a bad, it's a bad thing uh, if you're too competitive. And I, you know, heads up to any kids listening to this, life's competitive. So either get run over or compete back, like that's your choice. Coach, um, what does competition mean to you? Uh, you like uh, coaching somebody that's not competitive? No, I <laughs> no. hate it, I hate it, no. it's the worst. Yeah. We
4: did, you know, we struggled with that. <clears throat> Was it this year, last? We've st- you see it all the time. Sure. Last year when we do we would do open gyms. Yeah. And we would have two gyms going. Kids would play, and I watch it. We had twenty some kids there, and would, they, they were just kind of screwing around. So I blew the whistle. We came into one gym, and I said, "Shoot for teams. First five, first team. Next five, the next team." And then the other guys started going to the other gym. I said, "Where are you guys going?" He said, "We're going to go play." I said, "No, you're not. You're going to you're going to stay in here until you make a foul shot." or if, or stay on the court and win a game. So we spent an hour and a half and it got competitive. It was awesome. There were people, I mean, kids were playing harder. They had to play for something. It wasn't just out there, just screwing around playing basketball. There's a time for that. But but competing is so critical. I don't think you, you know, going back to the comp- compete without contempt, That when I learned about e for a 10, 15 years ago, whenever, Um, I first met you, that was the one that I wasn't sold on till I learned. And and because I, I mean, man, if I'm on the court with you, I'm going to destroy you, <laughs> sure. and it, it doesn't mean you can't yeah. think that way. Yeah, exactly. And it's—I've heard you use the quote, the G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton the, and now I can't even say you can't. Yeah, what is it? You the fight. true
0: soldier fights not because right. he hates what's in front of him, but because yeah. he loves, loves what's behind. What's behind so that, so I—I I get
4: that. I learned that now. But that competitive edge, and I would teach the players like, man, you go out and you rip his face off, or you knock him on his butt. You reach down, pick him up, and then you do it again. And then reach down and pick them up, and at the end of the game, we're going to hug, say, "Good job." But when you are out there, you are competing to destroy them, not because you hate them, but because you love the guys that you're doing this for. Okay. So, com- <laughs> you you come to our house on a Sunday night when we're playing board games. I mean, it is you can't be there very long. It's hard. My <laughs> wife, Eli's brothers, it is like it gets funny. Eli. Can't, like we've, how many we got in a fight a couple of weeks ago over Uno? I got mad because they're I'm losing and they're all giving me draw fours and I'm like ready to punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so competition is good, but you. That was yesterday. Yeah. Anyway,
1: but it, oh, I love uh, competition. I remember watching Kobe Bryant play the Jazz years ago, and there was some d- player on the Jazz that Kobe was just cooking him, and they were up by like 20. And he kept going at this guy. I can't remember who the player was for the Jazz, but he, he wasn't great. And Kobe kept going at him, and he would talk to him on the way up the court, and he'd go at him again, and he'd talk to him again. He'd D him up at half court. This, this guard couldn't breathe. He was just smothering him over and over and over. And I, I watched it and thought, I kind of kept my eye on Kobe Bryant when the ball was on the other side of the court, and how he was just attacking this poor like rookie, <laughs> like he's probably scared to death to be having Kobe as idol and Kobe just, and I started thinking, you know why? Kobe wants that guy to think you never have a chance to ever beat me, I'm gonna make sure you know it right now. For as long as you're in this league, you're not getting me ever. And that's fine, like that's comp- competition, that's the game, it's hard. If you don't want the competition, you, you know, you can't be part of it, I'm sorry. It's com- you don't... Coaches don't wanna coach you if you don't care. If you cry after a, a loss, I want you on my team. I want you to care, but contempt, contempt. Once you start doing it because you hate your opponent, you want to embarrass them, or you think that they're lesser than you, and you want to make sure that you you ruin them. That's when that might lead to cheap shots and and cheating and you know playing outside of the line, outside of the rules. Um, and and in life, outside of sports, there are things we do to compete in business and to compete in other areas of our life. And when we do it with contempt, we might lie or cheat on our taxes or, you know, do a dirty business deal with somebody and that's competing without contempt. And so when, when we say compete without contempt, Shad, right? We're meaning, uh, you, you, you can love your or respect your opponent because they're giving you the opportunity to do what you love. If they're not there, it's,
0: it's not a lot of fun playing against nobody. Yeah. And I've thought a lot about that g k Chesterton quote because when I think, okay, I want love to be my motivi- motivator, not hate i don't have to doesn 't matter who i'm playing, yeah. and quite frankly, I think that's how you really know if someone's truly competitive yeah. is if it doesn't matter who they're playing, they want to win yeah. Yeah. right like they love winning yeah. I'm guilty, my girls make fun of me all the time for uh, I want to win, I have three daughters, even when they were little kids growing up like why play a board game if you're not trying to win the board game? Like, I don't get the concept of having fun, you know? Like, um, the fun is win, trying to win, right? And But love, for me, is just way more of a sustainable fuel than hate. And I've watched as some coaches, like high school coaches, or even some, you know, some people, they, they try to, like, like, create, manufacture hate for other people, and you know that it's just all facade, right? But love doesn't have to be manufactured. Like, you can love Utah State, and therefore you want the fans, you want the coaches, you want the players to experience the exhilaration of winning, right? And that is way better of a fuel, like, for me, the name on the back of my jersey was always as important as the name on the front, right? And I love my my mom and dad made huge sacrifices for me to play. I wanted my mom to feel the way that she felt when I won, right? Like, those are things, if we'll be intentional, going back to that word, to think about, what are the things that are motivating me? If it's hate, I just don't think it's as good of a fuel, and I don't think it's as sustainable, but those things, like there wasn't one day that I didn't love my mom, love my dad, love my school, love my teammates, love my coach, love the people who would come out and cheer for us. That was constant. I often didn't hate my opponent, right? Yeah. And so I didn't want to have to manufacture that. And so I just think it's way healthier. And then as you move forward in life, if love is your motivator, I think you're gonna get a lot further in life than if you're motivated by having you can, depression. You can
1: hate the idea of losing, Yeah, you hate losing, um, but you're not going to do it if it means selling out on your integrity, yep. you know, your honor. I'm not going to, it doesn't mean enough to me to sell my integrity by cheating. Right. I, I could, I could win the, I remember watching a kid catch a touchdown pass against his rival school, this was 15 years ago in the back of the end zone, but it, he dropped it and went through his arms. He landed on the ball. This was like last play of the game. He landed on it. He knew he dropped it. He rolled over with the ball in his hands. The ref didn't have a good angle and the ref said touchdown. So the ref gave him credit for it. He stood up and ran off the field with the ball. They all mobbed him, and I thought, he didn't catch that ball. And somebody had it on video, and you could see he dropped the ball. The ref gave it to him. At the time, I'm sure he thought, hey, man, that's, you know, that's how sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. I, my guess is, if that were my hope, if that were me, I would hope that years later I would think, that doesn't sit well with me. I didn't catch it. you know. Like I, I, don't, want to, I don't want the win unless I really got it. Right. And so I, I hate the idea of, of um, you know, people thinking that it shouldn't be given to you. You should earn a win. win. Any win you get, coach, I'm sure you've had this before. I tell the kids I coach, soak it up. If you win a game, soak it up because it's hard. Winning's hard and it should be hard. So compete. But we're never going to do it. Never going to feel good about it if we did it the wrong way. If we cheated to get the win, I don't want it. You know, we didn't earn it. Um, third principle, especially for athletes, resiliency. Now we could talk about this quite a bit, but I wanna start over with Allie on this because um, Allie, I know you've done a lot of hard things. You've run up hills, you've iced, sat in ice cold water, in Wisconsin or wherever you went, like you, you pride yourself on doing hard things. You, you're one of the most resilient people I know. Um, why? Why is resiliency so important? I know things you've dealt with with your life, you've had to be resilient. Um, Why is that so important that we're teaching kids resiliency?
5: Well, I think it goes back to the word intentional that we keep using. And if we intentionally do things that are uncomfortable, we're going to be more prepared for what life throws at us. I think right now, too often we're trying to find comfort in everything that we do. Our parents are protecting us from failure. They're protecting us from hurt and pain. And that's just part of life. And if we can intentionally put ourselves in ice water. I don't care how many times you do it, it's never enjoyable. Yeah. If you if you can do things that are uncomfortable and stretch yourself, I mean ultimately our goal is to grow as much as we can as people so that we can give back and contribute. And if if everything we're doing is to avoid that growth, that pain, then what do we have to offer? Yeah. Ultimately, I mean how, how do we give back resiliency is so much just about um, being able to handle and look at life and say, "Look what life did for me, not to me." And mm-hmm. I love that about sports because it's a, it is just a, a fast forward or expedited, express train on on life on life and yeah. and and that resiliency comes, um, you know, obviously through failure and through hard things, but. We need to embrace that and and not shy away or protect ourselves from it, um, and recognize that things that happen are really for us, not
0: to us. One of the things I think is important is that we do not fear failure, but we actually view failure as how we know we're pushing ourselves enough. Mm -hmm. You know that if we haven't failed, then we haven't we haven't hit our limit yet. So if you never fail, if you're always staying in the safety zone, then you don't know what you could have done. And I've shared this story many times, Dustin, but one of the greatest things that a coach did for me my freshman year of college was he took away the fear of failure. The way he did that, I had struck out three three times the night before, and the next day I was taking batting practice, and I asked him for some advice. And uh, I turned to him and said, hey, coach, Well known coach, college coaches Hall of Fame. And I thought, this is my moment, this is where I get to learn from my coach. And so I turned to him and said, Coach Herbold, what am I doing wrong? And he looked at me and said, Shut up. And I was like, okay, you know, like and then he said it three more times. Shut up. Shut up. And then he asked me a question, do you think I'm stupid? And at this point, I had no clue, like, what he was talking about, or I thought I was doing a good thing by being humble, asking for advice. But then what he did is he completely eliminated the fear of failure by saying, "Uh, do you think I'm stupid enough to offer a scholarship to someone who can't hit a ball? And I was like, I hope not. And he said, I'm not that stupid. And then he, kind of condescendingly, but he said, (laughs) he said... uh, this is baseball, as though he was to it. This is baseball. Most of the time you're going to fail. If you can't get used to that, you should get out of it. But you're going to win more than you should. And then he walked away. What do you give me license to do is to fail. Yeah. Right? And we all know the statistics in baseball. That you can fail 70% of the time and make the Hall of Fame. But I was like so afraid that he was labeling me as someone who couldn't hit a ball, someone who, and, and he, one of the, his brilliance as a coach is he would look at us and be like, nah, sometimes you're going to have bad games. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the pitcher's going to win. Most of the time the pitcher's going to win. That liberated me to be able to go and take it at bat, and when I struck out, I tipped my hat to the pitcher, he beat me this time, I was going to beat him more than I should, according to my coach. Yeah. I played for other coaches that it wasn't necessarily like that. Right where you were labeled by your worst moments. If we do that as parents or as coaches, if we start labeling people by their worst moments, we start to dampen resiliency, I believe, in their life. We need to make it okay to fail and actually encourage pushing ourselves until we get cut. Pushing ourselves until we fail. Pushing ourselves until we're out of our league. And I think that's a healthy, to embrace failure brings resilience.
1: Well, and that's, Elsie, what I was gonna ask you with your parents, you got cut four times four from times. the high school basketball team, yep. all four years?
2: All four
1: years. You kept. Obviously, you came back a fourth time and yep. your senior year and got cut. During that process, what was mom and dad's advice to you? Or uh, comments, or comments. just conversations <laughs> that you feel, yeah, what, what were their thoughts on everything?
2: Um, freshman year, so there, there was 12 of us that tried out. They took 11, so I was the one that got cut. Mm-hmm. And I went in and told my dad, and. He goes to every practice everything he was the creepy dad in the corner never said anything but he was the creepy dad in the yeah. corner bless his heart but he was like okay hey, we're gonna go to the gym so the moment i got cut we went to the gym i spent a whole year went in sophomore year there was 12 girls they took 11. went out my dad was you, you can tell my dad was a little discouraged same thing we went to the gym right after did a whole year my dad spent multiple hours my mom went with us i went in um we had a big school split so I went into the coaches and was like, oh, hey, I want to try out again. And they said, yeah, your chances should be good. We're splitting. You do this, 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 this. I texted mom and dad. This, this, this needs to happen. And they were in the gym with me all every step of the way. Uh, junior year, there was eight of us. They took seven. And then I went in my senior year, and my mom and dad just said, I love you. I just, I love you. Just leave it all on the line. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay. There was eight girls. They took seven. And I left that tryout. I was so discouraged. I was so upset. My parents just had tears in their eyes and they just said, I'm proud of you. And that was mm-hmm. it. That's all I needed. That my parents were proud of me. I did all that I could. And we weren't, I didn't fail. They said, I didn't fail. We were just closing one book and we were opening another one. We were just changing directions. And I think if my parents were not there every step of the way, encouraging me and telling me it was okay to fail, but then holding my hand when I was upset, Yeah. I don't think I would be where I am today without them.
1: Well, that's pretty dang cool. We could stop right now with that story. <laughs> dang it. I, see, I asked you that question not knowing, I maybe have met your parents, I don't remember, maybe at a banquet or something mm-hmm. that we've honored you at, but um, I know we gave you an award your senior or junior year? Senior year. Senior year, yep. yes. Um, but I kind of guessed because of how I know you that they were probably like that. So I, I felt safe asking you that question. What I was curious to to see what you would say and you didn't, which is what I thought. <clears throat> your parents didn't say, well, quit basketball. Your parents didn't say your coach is an idiot and, and it's just their fault. Your dad said, let's go get the gym. Yep. Um, you must need to get better at something, yep. right? Your coach must have not felt like you have what it takes so let's go get what it takes and then again and then what you said yep. there the fourth year was I, I that was awesome that they just you know they just said they were sometimes we need to coach and sometimes we just need to be dad and we just need to be mom yeah and that's what they became for you and mm-hmm. um but they didn't blame everybody they told you to mm-hmm. and that's something I think as parents we have to be willing to do sometimes coach I'll I'm asking you because I, I can you and Allie, I, I can see where you're going. I can, as a coach, I know what you're thinking. I will tell kids, maybe this is rude. I, I just say it to parents and kids all the time. Um, you can tell me. I, I know you're going to agree with this. But sometimes, believe it or not, your son gets cut because he's not fast enough. And he's not as good a shooter as you think he is. And he's not as strong. And he doesn't remember the plays. And he doesn't work as hard as you think he does. What, there are reasons. It's not just because coach hates you. It's not just because coach is playing politics with some other parent. It's because sometimes we all, I I remember the day I got a home run hit off of me in college when I knew I'm not good enough to do this at the next level. A guy hit a ball that is still still in space. Like he hit it so far that I just knew that's the best pitch I had and you hit it 800 feet. Like I I can't go any further than that. Like, you know, it happens to all of us, but coach, how do we, you know, how do we get parents to understand that like I, I
4: lo- I'm sitting I get emotional when I think about that stuff because I I'm the guy making those decisions I've yeah I've cut kids that I know worked harder than the kids yeah. that made it and they're still not there. that's a hard decision to make but but got the resiliency side of that what your parents were teaching you it, it's okay if they thought the coach was an I- idiot it's okay as long as they weren't talking to you about that yeah. right like, that that's the critical piece so that you learn that resiliency. And, and so many of our kids, I used to joke about this when I would make decisions, would, we would not keep a kid, and there were parents who would come home and put their arms around the kid and say, I am so sorry. What can we do? Can we get in the gym? Just keep working. We love you. Mm-hmm. And then there were parents like, what? Get out of the way. I'm sending an email. We've got to go solve this. And, and so many times parents are too concerned about clearing the path for their kid as opposed to preparing their kid for the path Mm. and and so that like that experience is awesome i mean i had i had a young man come and talk to me a while back not long ago and a while back not long ago and he's been struggling with my decision to cut him a few years back and it and and it's stewed with him and we had this beautiful conversation and i've walked i mean it was I take it more serious. I, I feel like I take it really seriously to make those decisions. And then I, d- I guarantee you, another coach might have kept a kid. And we all, yeah. well, no matter if I'm wrong or right, I'm right because it's my decision to make. Yeah. And so when we're not in control of those things, we—that's what resiliency is. It doesn't happen our way. How i going to dust myself off and get back up. And I, I hear your story about what you're doing now. That is so awesome what your parents have done to teach you that and I mean they've taught you that but you've done it, right? You've gone out and handled that. So yeah, that that's uh, a yeah. we as parents, we've got to be able to support them, let them fail. You mentioned that before. Help them be prepared. It's gonna happen in work. They're not gonna get the promotion, they're not gonna get the job, they're not gonna you know, they're, they're gonna have a, a bad roommate, a bad boss, a bad teacher, whatever it is, let them deal with it and help maneuver them through those opposed as opposed to trying to fix it for them. And after, when they,
1: when they do have those issues, those real life adult issues, we can't solve it for yeah. them. You can't go email the boss and say, wait, she deserved that promotion, give it to her, Like, right? You can email the coach and talk to the coach, but you're not emailing, uh, you know, your daughter's yeah. employer at 25 years old and saying, wait, can I meet with you? How come you didn't give her the job?
4: Uh, Eli- uh, uh, Excuse me, so I had a college coach tell me not, just not long ago, he says, susp- suspended a kid because the kid's mom called the coach and said hey why is he not playing he talked to her about it and they called the kid in his office and said you're suspended for two weeks why because your mom called me and told me that you should <laughs> oh so i might be old school
0: but car, I, love like, <laughs> I love that i love uh, that just uh, something uh, you said there was so profound i just wanted to reiterate it instead of clearing the path for the child prepare the child for the path yeah yeah I don't have okay, any more to add that to that. That's like that the, was awesome. that's more <laughs> the, awesome. snow,
4: the snow the snowplow parents, right? They're clearing the path, you know, everything out of yeah. the way. It's different than helicopter. They're trying to solve everything for them, but we need to coach them through and, and get through. I love that you're, I don't love that your dad was there at the practices. <laughs> He's outside, outside the door. <laughs> no, yeah, he wasn't in the gym, that's outside. Good. I think redefining <laughs> so failure awesome. is important oh, too yeah.
5: because failure is not trying. Right. Failure is not, yeah. not getting, reaching the goal. You set the goal high enough that you actually end up here instead of here. You set it high and, and it's who we become in the process of trying to reach these goals that's not failure. It's it's not trying. If that's what you wanted, then you keep trying. And and uh, I had this player, we, we had to um, we had to have our point guards run a seven-minute mile. No reason for that. Like, who cares if they can run a seven-minute mile? Not fully even applicable to basketball, you know? Had a mom call me and say, this is the dumbest thing. It doesn't prove how good she is. And I just said, you know, isn't it sad that I believe your, your daughter is capable of doing something More than you do as her mother. The point isn't whether or not she she can do it, but you're taking away an opportunity for her her to be better.
1: Yeah.
5: And and to push herself in ways that whether it's relevant or not, I mean you just took that off the table for Mm -hmm. her to grow. And and I think that was, you know, the friend parent instead of the parent that was was thinking of the child, you know.
1: You you didn't give her that not you gave her that believing she could get it. You weren't setting her up to fail. No. You were setting her up to do something hard and succeed. Yeah. But you got to dig. Yeah. But like, mom, I'm not, I don't want to just, I don't want her not to do this. I think she can do it. Help me support me in this. So she can have the, that feeling of accomplishment. Eli, I watched you in a basketball game at a high school at an opposing high school. I think I've told you this story, but you were playing at another high school. Uh, where my kids go I watched you before the game. the reason I know the story is because I watched it and then I had the principal come over and tell me what had happened you went over to the principal of the school and shook his hand and said something about was pleasure to play in that gym or something about thanks for having us or hosting us he came over to me and he had a wristband on just like you did and I think that's what you saw I think you saw his wristband and he had an eyes up, do the work wristband he was part of, especially for athletes. He came over to me and said, who's that? That's that Ballstead. He, and he's an old, he had been a principal, he just retired not too long ago. He'd been a principal a long time. And all my years of sports as a coach and as a principal, I've never had an opposing player come over to me before a game like that and be that kind. And I said, well, watch out because this kid's going to drop, he's going to drop 30 on you now, and which you did. You then went out and had, you know, you scored like 25 or 30 points on him, but you, that guy became a fan of yours forever. I watched it and I already knew what kind of kid you were, but then I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. You then got a scholarship to the university of Utah. You go out and play basketball. Did you start?
3: No. Well, I didn't get a scholarship. You
1: walked on it. Yo, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. So, I, I got so a you had to walk on. Okay.
3: Um, they asked me to come play on the team and. I felt like that was the best decision for me.
1: But in high school, you scored, right? You played. You were you were a dude in high school. Yeah. You got to the University of Utah, fought for every second you got on. How did you handle now not being the guy out there scoring 20?
3: Um. How did I handle that? I, I went in with the mentality that I wasn't going to be given anything. Yeah. Um, and I... Uh, ultimately that was one of the reasons I made that decision is because I knew it was going to be tough and I wanted I wanted something that was going to challenge me and that was going to really push me to grow um, within basketball and outside of basketball and I knew um, going somewhere where I could just play 40 minutes a game and and have fun that's not the experience that I exactly wanted yeah
1: could have gone and played somewhere else
3: yeah and so and, and ultimately what, I, what I'm grateful for is, I think the coaches saw that, is I was just grateful for any occasion I had to actually play and I would just play my, my guts out um, just because I loved it. And that, that's the only thing that really set me apart was how hard I played. Um, and so I was given a few opportunities, my freshman year, sophomore year, I was injured, didn't go as well as I thought, but um, eventually my junior and senior year, because of just playing hard and really trying to, to win the hour and, and play as hard as I could every second, I did earn a scholarship to play for my junior and senior year. Um, you and it, though, man, yeah. Oh, I, w- I was definitely... Um, I, I, I worked as hard as I could, but I was definitely given that chance. I don't know if I would say I earned it, but uh, someone... Was, was kind enough Stop to give it. you that
1: Stop chance. it, you earned it. Don't you dare say I didn't earn it. You earned it, man. You don't earn a scholarship as a preferred walk-on mm-hmm. at a school like Utah, unless you're busting your tail. I know you're busting your tail. I've talked to you about this coach, Ballstead, before, but, uh, and Shad and I played together. We played uh, college baseball together, and, and so I can say this too, Shad and I know the guys that we would put on, um, on each side of the paper. If I take a piece of paper and I draw a line down the middle of it and I write participators on one side and competitors on the other side, and <clears throat> if you go back you know, 20, 30 years after, what, 25 years or so since we played uh, college baseball together, I don't remember what our shortstop or our first baseman's batting average was. I don't remember who had four hits in, in, in down in Riverside, California, and won us the game. I don't remember that. I could tell you who their competitors were, and who the participators were. And if I saw them today and they were a participator, I don't want to be around them. Like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk to you. Did you compete? Did you fight? Did you have our, were you in, right? Were you, did you, could I count on you? Um, I guess my point to that is that, in years and years from now, our son or daughters, and, and if athletes actually, kids are listening to this, people will forget what your average was. How much you scored or, or you know, they are going to remember if you were just somebody who wanted a jersey and just were kind of out there and going through the motions, or if you were somebody that was willing to compete, that you were you were going to go to battle for your teammates. And that's going to make you a legendary forever, right? You're going to be, there are certain guys we played with that if I see them in our 70s, I'm going to want to go and I'd love them because I knew they fought, they were competitive. Um, And I think that's the greatest compliment you can have as an athlete, I hope. I want somebody to look at me and say, I don't know if you were good or not, I don't remember, but I know you fought, I know you cared, I know you were all in. And those are the guys that as coaches, the men and women as coaches, right, for those of us that coach, that we wish we had. Whether they
4: can shoot or not, man, give me those guys or girls that wanna compete and we'll figure it out, right? Particularly in high school sports, I mean, you see it all the time, the disparity in skill and athleticism in teams, yeah. and it, the teams that play together and just compete and fight to get there, they, they win a lot of games. I mean, it, so much of it is mental that way. But we, we, we had a system, we would do winner points, we call them. In every practice, we would have drills. I didn't make this up. I saw Coach Pope was doing it, and I've seen it a few different places. He told me he learned it from someone else. But but we would have different drills that you would get points for, winner points, three on three or five on five, whoever won those drills, we would keep track of it every practice all year long. And I would list the top 10 winner points. I'd write it on the board every day and kids would come over and see the kids that, like the non-competitors, they didn't care. They were eh, whatever, like, but you, I watched kids, Oh man, like they were going to work because they wanted to win and compete and get after it. And so, that, to your point, you could draw it right down the line and I can tell you over the years the kids that loved to compete and they weren't always the best players. They were tough though and they, and they were kids you wanted on your team because they would fight to go win and play. So,
5: no, one thing too, I just want to say how proud I am of Eli and Elsie because both of their examples is so rare that kids intentionally put themselves in positions where they are trying to build that resilience. If someone tells you no once, twice, three times, I can't think of very many kids that will go back a fourth time. Yeah. You know, that says so much about who you are and who you'll become and have become. And I, I think that Eli is, is going to do great things because that's who he is. And I think if, if more athletes, parents can learn from these examples of, like, they're okay
1: they, yeah. <laughs> they survived parish, it su- yeah survived. wasn't the end of the world and they didn't take no. that
5: easy path or be handed something they they chose hard yeah and that's what resilience is all about life life is hard yep people are struggling but it, it's making these choices that help us handle life and you guys are awesome
2: Thanks. thank you well, I,
5: love, I love
3: what you said earlier you said um you have to have the mentality that life happens for you and life doesn't happen to you. And I think that's so crucial for us to understand inside athletics, outside of athletics, to really understand and, and it's up to us. We can we can take that whatever happens, we can take it either way. But if we if we make that choice that this is an opportunity to learn and to grow, then your possibilities are endless.
0: Yeah. You win or you learn. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that's you true. can win and learn too, but but if, if parents reacted to losses or kids getting cut as a learning opportunity, just think of that mindset, right? Um, instead of failure, a learning opportunity. It creates a discussion. It creates some goal setting. It creates some let's let's make some changes, right? And so I love just that you win or you learn. And, and uh, that's been helpful for me as a parent when my kids, feel disappointment in sports. Maybe it's because I've participated in so many of these conversations that I'm kind of intentionally looking for it. But I, if I take a step back instead sort of, you know, making excuses or anything else, yeah. and just say, okay, what can they learn? And how can I make the most out of this situation? Whether it was fair or unfair, here we are. Yeah. So yeah. so let's make the most out of this. And I, I just love that, that thought. You win or you'll learn.
3: But I, I, I sorry. No. I think there is a balance with that. I, I love that um, mentality of you When or you learn, but I do find, and I, I see it even at the college level, that there's, you still have to hate losing. I think we, we just talked about competing. And I think there's so often I see um, my teammates, I see others that when we lose, oh man, bummer. Like, move on, we'll practice tomorrow, life goes on. But you have to, there's got to be a point, it's got to sting. Yeah, and I don't think you can learn as much if, if losing isn't that important you to you. Care. And then you're not going to yeah. learn as much. You, as you didn't can. learn how to lose if it doesn't sting. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you-
0: so don't try to take away the sting of, of losses. Because yeah. isn't it cool that our kids could care about something so unimportant in the grand scheme of <laughs> things mm-hmm. enough to be devastated and learn to deal with devastation? Yeah. There's very few things as unimportant as sports that could devastate a kid. But that's the only way to build that muscle of resilience: is to be devastated and respond, right? And I'm grateful that, yeah. If you take away the sting of losing, you take away the lessons of losing as
3: yeah. well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As
1: parents, and and a you know a, a psychologist might, I might be dead wrong here, but maybe the way to to go approach it is if somebody loses, if a kid loses, a young kid, and they maybe throw a temper tantrum or they cry or they whatever instead of saying, you know, stop being a baby, stop crying. That's not how we act. I'm okay with that. Now I'm not okay with you throwing bats and throwing helmets and breaking stuff. It's how you react. But the fact that you're feeling something, I prefer that over the kid that just can't wait to go home and, you know, get the snow cone and leave. But now I got to have a conversation with you about how you, you show your emotion. Let's talk about that. We can't, we don't throw things. We don't, you know, you, But the fact that you're upset and you're reacting a little bit, there's some anger behind it. Well, What do you want to do about it? Let's take that same energy right now and where do you want to go? And I want to hear you say, let's go to the gym, right? Let's get back in the batting cage. Let's do something with that. But the fact that you care, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. You know,
5: well, I think it takes it to the next step with the, the parent is, I think the first question is, what are you the most upset about? Yeah. Were you embarrassed? Yeah. You, do you feel like you're not as good as other kids are you mad you didn't play you know are you mad at yourself are you mad at a teammate and then from there you know handle that emotion because some people with they lose that has nothing to do with performance yeah. or things that are in their control at all
1: that's the key I think is it are you mad about things that are in your control then what do you want to do about it but the things that are out of your control you know let's not worry about it you yeah. can't control it anyway yeah. right?
0: right so and I think yeah. I draw the line. I, I've had this discussion with my kids. When it goes to treating others poorly, like that, to me, that's where I draw the line. For yeah. example, you're, you're bad to a teammate after a loss. Yeah. Or you're not going to slap hands with the team that just beat you. Like, when, when you begin to treat others bad because you're upset, that's where I'm like, nope, you're going to shake their hand. Or no, you're not going to talk to your mom that way. Yeah. I don't care how upset you are. doesn't give me an excuse to be bad to other people. Yeah. So there's like these lines, you know. Yeah. But I love what you're saying, Dustin. Like It's okay to validate their, how devastated they are. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I, Gosh, I'm so glad you care so much about this that, that you're in tears. Yeah. Now we can use that as fuel <coughs> or just frustration, right? Yeah. But how can we use this this feeling you're having to be fuel and motivation to help you accomplish more yeah. versus just anger and, and treating others poorly.
3: No, I love that. Kobe Bryant, um, he, if you want, there's a, a little video that he made. Um, it's geared towards children, but it's somewhat cheesy, but. If you look up Kobe Bryant, Dark Muse Cage, he talks about this aspect of using kind of negative emotions to fuel you, fuel you to become better um, and to make them a positive thing rather than dwelling on these negative things. And Ali just talked about pointing out what, why are you disappointed, why do you feel this way, and um, where are these negative emotions coming from, figuring those out, and then using that, like you said, as a fuel to make you better.
1: Yeah. In the, and again, going back to the fuel to make you better and the things that are in your control. Yeah. thats I haven't done that, but that's something that I would think. I, I wish I had done more of that with my older kids. I'm going to with my younger. Is that I'm okay if you're upset about things that are in your control. Yeah. I'm going to be really okay with it if you have a plan to do something about it. If you're just going to come home and complain about it, and if it's in your control, then Show me what you're going to do now, right? Like, what are you going to do? Like like, like what you did. You had some things that were in your control, mm-hmm. and so you addressed those. You tried harder. You went back to the gym. That was in your control. If, if you just miss the shot, you strike out like you did. It so happens sometimes. You can go work on it, but sometimes you're going to lose. You're going to miss shots. Not, they're not all going to go in. Most of them don't go in in basketball, right? Most most putts don't go in in golf, right? Most, most of the time, it, you, you don't score on the drive. You punt. Like, you don't score every time. Um, and uh, that's what's in your control. And what, if, if they're faster than you, yeah, you have a choice. You can try to get faster or you can just sit and complain about it, yeah. right? But, but sometimes the ref makes a bad call. That's out of your control. So don't, don't be mad about that. That's, you might be a little frustrated for a minute, but it's not, it's not gonna do any good, it's
0: over. It's a great delineation yeah. with our kids. Doing what you did, what are you frustrated about? And then if it's beyond their control, so you, you just gotta let that stuff go. let's move our, it goes back to that E plus R equals O. Yeah. That that event happened. All you have control of is the response that will affect the outcome. You don't have control over it. Let's not talk about the event. Let's not talk about the outcome. Let's talk about your response to it. That's within your control. And that just gets a lot more done when you do that.
1: Which is effort and attitude, right? And those those are within your control. Last principle of especially for athletes, seek to bless, not impress. Let's just go around the the table here and and maybe in a you know one minute answer what does that mean to you Eli seek to bless not impress
3: it it goes back to these intentions that we're talking about and why are we doing what we're doing Um, and thinking about playing college basketball was super motivating for me and one of the most motivating factors was knowing what I felt as a little kid watching my idols play and watching college basketball players play Um, and understanding those feelings. And so when I stepped out on the court, I understood that people watched me and that I could inspire younger kids. And that was a huge fueling factor for me whenever I played. Um, and so that's one of the main reasons that I played was to try to inspire a little kid like me that they could do just what I was doing.
1: Shad, what a seek to bless, not impress I me. Mean. Yeah.
0: you mind if I share talked a, a lot about it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, my mother just died, right, and um, I'm sharing this for a very specific purpose, but it was hard for our family. It was unexpected, and uh, kind of family trickled away from the funeral, and I stayed with my dad for a little while. My dad's been my coach um, all growing up, loved being my coach in baseball there came this moment where both of us, you know, guys do things a little differently, I think, but I was like, we're just gonna rip off this band-aid, I gotta go home. So I came and sat next to him and said, dad, I gotta go home. And uh, you know, my dad kind of put his head down and this would be the moment where my dad was kind of alone in his house for the first time after my mom passed away. And uh, when I was doing that, taking stuff out to my car, getting ready to leave a flower truck drives up to our driveway and um, and the girl gets out and she says sorry this was sent to the funeral home but it didn't make it in time for the funeral and, uh, and so I took it and I said oh thank you so much and I took it into my dad and I sat it down he's like that's beautiful and, and he said who's it from and I opened it up and sometimes these things you know just happen perfectly but it was from all my college baseball teammates right it came at the perfect time like I read this card they're all just like hey we're with you it was the perfect thing for me and my dad who had coached me my whole life got at a very tender moment and uh, I'm grateful for me eyes up do the word seek to bless not to impress there was no post about that There was no but the impact that had on me and my father like, I will remember it for the rest of my life because my college teammates got together, a bunch of dudes, <laughs> and got flowers that ended up being delivered to two other guys. <laughs> flowers usually aren't the thing, but it was just the work they did. It wasn't what they did. It could have been every anything. And, and having experienced that over the last couple of weeks with, with the kindness that people give, I just honestly believe if we will live our life seeking to bless whoever comes within our path. It is an incredible way to live. It's an incredible way to live. And, um, and I, I think it's good for other people. I think it's incredible for the person who lives their life that way. Yeah. And so the mantra of eyes up, do the work. Just keep your eyes up, looking for anyone you can lift, anyone you can lift. And then seek to bless not to be noticed, not to impress people, just seek to bless whoever comes in your path any day every day and and you will have a fulfilling life mm-hmm. and so that that's my thoughts on yeah. it. I was so grateful for that took, my dad and I were able to sit there, whatever reason that hit us. We just sat there and wept in the kitchen for for five ten minutes, said our goodbyes and left and but But I I share that for one other reason, if that's okay, Dustin. Just don't forget those on your own team.
1: Yeah.
0: Don't forget those kids who want to be part of your team in any way, but but were cut. Just try to lift everyone around you. And those who are around you the most sometimes need the lifting the most. So concentrate on your own team. Awesome. Awesome.
5: Allie? When I finished playing personally I just thought gosh how am I ever going to experience this again competing and what that felt like and I had no idea that coaching would be more fulfilling that running these training programs for kids that had autism it didn't matter the level just watching them grow and instill that confidence and giving back what that would do for me and how fulfilling that was there's a competitive side that's really hard to satisfy but that that, compi- but the, I don't even know, the camaraderie that comes through athletics and just the the whole fulfillment in, in giving back. And I, I learned a while ago, when I was coaching, I, I learned of two things that I'll share really quick that really helped me as a coach. I wish I would have known sooner as a player, but there's seven things that, that drive us in life, six things, sorry, and we're motivated by. And one of them is certainty, just having that certainty in our lives and that's a lot of, you know, right now of of the youth really want that certainty. The second thing is uncertainty. Adventure and excitement really drives people. The third thing is significance and feeling significant. And that's usually things that we're missing in our life as to why we we want those. The fourth thing is love. And you sometimes can see as far as the significance or love is have a conversation. Someone says, well, I did this. or You know, and just feeling accepted and loved. Maybe they're not getting that at home. The fifth thing is personal growth. And then the last thing is contribution. And we're all going to have one of those needs or two or three of those. But ultimately, we want to grow and continue to be the best version of ourselves. So ultimately, we can contribute and give back because that is the greatest blessing we can receive it's a selfish thing because we are so blessed by, by that action. And, and then the gift of the three C's is, is something I've tried to apply, and it's a big part of seeking to bless. It really makes you think, and it's every day you're going to do the three C's. You're going to either console, congratulate, or compliment somebody. And the idea of seeking that we really emphasize in that sentence is so powerful because when you really are looking to do those three things each day, you're looking for opportunity to to bless a life. And it's the littlest thing, and it doesn't come on a holiday. It's just out of the blue, and the people you think about all of a sudden um, that come to mind because you're, you're seeking those opportunities. But But I think if I would have understood younger the power of, Of um, really you always think you're good to people you always think you're doing your best to serve and as you get older that part of those experiences and doing those different things of growing is I want to stay relevant you know I come and talk to these youth and they're like who the heck is she she's a has-been athlete she's a coach no one knows who she is I'm like well I climbed a tall mountain
0: and (laughs) I got in cold
5: water and I stay relevant so that I can have influence and honestly, that's why I do it because it's the only way to give back and impact is you have to have some form of relevance. Yeah. And and so doing those things that help me continue to grow and be better and, and stay relevant, so I can you know ultimately give back.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Sally.
2: Um, I was actually super excited about this one. This is like my favorite like core value. I have but I actually had a super fun experience over the weekend. So with this kind of being the one I really like, I felt like I had a really hard time finding good experiences with it, kind of especially in like now moving into the job and the position I am, because when you go to football games, you wanna see the football player, right? You wanna see the coaches and you don't wanna see the girl in the background running anything. So like I had a really hard time trying to find this in my day to day, but we, Utah State was doing like a flag football competition over the weekend. We invite all the kids up and whatnot. Anyways, we have kind of our older group of kids in, and we have some, like, dad helpers. And they were all kind of talking with some of our coaches, and like, hey, Elsie, come here, come here. I walked over, and they said, there is a little girl up in the stands, and she's too scared to come down to play with the boys. Will you, will you go talk to her? We've tried talking to her. She, she won't come down. I was like, sure, yeah, I guess I'll wander up there. So I did, and she was up there with mom and dad. She's in fourth grade biggest alligator tears I've ever seen. She was crying and I kind of got down at her level and I was like, what's your name? And she told me, we were kind of chit-chatting and I was like, are you here to play football? She's like, no. And I was like, what do you mean you're not here to play football? And she was too scared. She didn't want to go down and play with the boys. She was worried about the football size. And I just said, I said, look, I'm the only one down there and the only girl. I was like you gotta come down and help me out. And after a little conversation, she decided to come down with me and um, got her a lot more comfortable. And, Anyways, she had those boys in a tizzy by the end of the day. She yeah. was pulling flags and she was running around and it was awesome. And she came up to me afterwards and she's like, I'm coming back next week. And I was like, okay, good. You better come back next week. And it was just super cool. Cause I've never had that experience where I wanted to be that I wanted to be the, I grew up watching people play and I wanted to be that for somebody. And I couldn't in that type of aspect, but all of a sudden I had this really cool experience where I could do that for somebody. And as a woman in a male dominant sport, And to show this girl that she's probably never going to put on pads, she's never going to wear a helmet, but she can still do something she loves. She can pursue something. If she loves it enough, she can do it. And I've never had the opportunity where I thought I was in a good enough position to, I just, I was there because I loved it. I do what I do because I love what I do. And I never thought I could potentially influence somebody to pursue something that they love to do. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be wearing a jersey at the end of the day yeah. and so it was super fun and it was a great experience called home and told my mom about it, it <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: that's awesome Elsie. well guys thank you for joining us um you know eyes up do the works our motto but we want to be more than just a program that has a cool catchphrase. um you know that we the, the key words in that are probably the last word it's work everything that we do requires work in order for this program or this vision that we have of trying to change culture by the avenue of athletics and sports it requires people that want to work that want to take the the hard easy path and not the the easy hard path so parents athletes we need your help in that we need everybody to have their eyes up whether you're an athlete or not the phrase eyes up do the work is not unique to athletes we only say it's especially for the athletes because of the sport light they do have an extra level of attention given to them People are watching them. If we can teach them to handle that in a way that lifts and inspires other people, they can do a lot of good and, and, and change culture. And our hope is that in 20 years from now, the thousands of athletes that we work with will be coaches someday themselves, and they'll be teaching similar principles. And if we can do that, we've changed a culture. We've changed a next generation. It's, you know, sports is synonymous with winning the hour, competing without contempt. Uh, being resilient and seeking to bless, not impress. And you do that by living with your eyes up and doing the work. So we appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Eyes up, do the
0: work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at Especially for slash book.